This is Four Friends Fight About Films, a podcast about movies and things more important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. I'm not doing it. <laughs> did you just? Did you just? Did you just get excited? Or This is Four Friends Fight About Film, a podcast about movies and things more important than movies, if we ever find any. Today's theme is time travel. We'll be ranking the best time travel movies, getting deep into the rules of time travel, and talking about what we would do if we could travel through time. Let's all introduce ourselves again, uh, and this time we are going to uh, say what historical figure we'd go back in time to pick up in our phone booths. Uh, I'm not doing this because it's stupid, so I will pass. The whole that podcast. was Lance's. That was Lance's voice. No, I just we do this, and I feel like it's like a youth camp where we're trying to get to know each other, and it just feels dumb. Trying to so, break the uh, ice. Well, Lance. break the ice with who? We all know each other. Say your name and a vegetable <coughs> that starts with the same letter. Yeah, my name's Lance. That's it. I'm done. Go. Lance would Next pick one. up OJ Simpson, 1992 <laughs> era, circa 92. Yeah, yeah. He hadn't done anything. Yeah, in 92. I know. Like, he was. Don't do it, OJ. He did. <laughs> well, I'm Kyle Gibson, aka Gibby, and I believe I would pick up. Oh, Jason. <laughs> does it does a historical figure have to be dead? No, no, just uh, no. Anybody? So the historical has no meaning there. They've, just they've not, been so, not someone from the future. Someone alive. They're part in the of past. history, which is anyone alive right I now. I mean, well, obviously, I said phone booth. So Bill and Ted. If you were Bill and Ted, uh, I'm Jordan, and I would pick up Leah Thompson. Right. I would I would choose C.S. Lewis. Feel like he'd be a good hang. He'd want to like go to a pub and yeah. talk about theology. That's a good one. And yeah. fiction writing. Mm-hmm. You yeah. got a lot to say. Yep. Yeah. So, Jordan, what kicked this off for us is we both saw the movie Synchronicity. <laughs> yes, we did. Recently, uh, a local Atlanta film, indie film, on the deals with time travel, and it was quite good. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Very cool, low-budget film. So that kind of kicked off. We thought, what are our favorite time travel films? There's certainly been a lot of them. I actually felt like there weren't that many of them. Like, when I looked at a list of all the time travel movies that have been made, as a subgenre, I didn't feel like it was as lengthy as I expected it to be. I agree. I had the same difficulty. I I kept thinking that some movies were missing from the list that I was looking at. But I wonder if that's because of television and books and other things that kind of you soak up. It comes up in a, in the fantasy world a lot, but not necessarily specifically in movies. And very few movies have used it very well. Do you think there aren't that many movies about time travel because people have figured out how to time travel and they've gone back and erased <laughs> the movies that they made that were really terrible about time makes travel? makes a lot of sense. I can think of no other solution. The concept of time travel by mechanical means was first popularized by H.G. Wells in the 1895 story The Time Machine. Before that, I'm assuming... Non-mechanical means of time travel are written about, uh, like Rip Van Winkle falling asleep, waking up in the future, or other... That was more about comas than (laughs) actual time travel. It's very science fact. (laughs) (laughs) But there's, you know, there's certain types of time travel, and so I, I tried to make a list here of the different types of time travel with some examples, and as we go through our list, we can kind of touch on each one of these, and we'll just run through them real fast. 
First one is time loop. So living the same day or week or however many hours over and over and over again, like Groundhog Day or source code. The second type of time travel, time slip, which would be your teen 13 going on 30 was the example I had. Also, Christmas Carol, although I'm not necessarily sure that counts as time travel. I don't think that really counts as time travel. That counts more he, as he's like... He's getting kind of a, a window a into the story that annoys me to no end that I'd like to never hear again. Christmas Carol? Yeah. Really any Dickens, anything. Yeah, everybody hates Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you hate Dickens? Who, who hates Dick? I've never me, heard anybody I've say hated that. It. What a strange opinion. Really? Yeah. Why do, Why would you hate Dickens? I read it and I'm like, oh, I hate that. Jordan I'm hate- not saying you should love it. I just, it's an odd thing to hate. So time slip is would meaning that you disappear into another time and then you come back to your normal So time. there was a pretty so. big era of this like in the late 80s and not only the 13 going to 30 but you had 18 again and uh, wouldn't yeah. that be kind of like a time slip? Yeah. yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. 18 again would count that. Well, wasn't that more I like they were trading those. bodies? Like there were, there were two of them. actually traded bodies. I think the old man went to the young man's body. Yeah, oh, like, like, like trading uh, bodies. So is that a time? Like slip? one of one of my favorites, slip. Dream a Little Dream. Yeah, Dream a Little Dream. Is that a time? No, that's just that's a body, a body swap. Yeah. Time paradox. So uh, I believe Twelve Monkeys is an example of this. I haven't seen it in a while. So that's one where. It creates a loop in on itself where the event wouldn't exist right. without the time travel happening. Next type of time travel, time communication. So that would be one where you can talk to somebody in a different time, but you're not actually traveling there. So I believe the movie Frequency was like that. Isn't that what like was the, like the, the lake house or whatever that movie? The lake house. Yeah. Frequency was funny because uh, how quickly they gloss over the time travel thing. They can do it. Yeah. Or, or, what is like, frequency? Oh, Dad, is that you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. <laughs> Frequency is a movie where these a, a father and son over a span of 20, 30 years somehow talk to each other over a radio. And as soon as they realize it, they just gloss right over it. It's really funny. He's like, hmm. oh, Dad, good. is that you? Hey, son, we must have called a tear in time. How you been? Like that's, <laughs> that is, I think that's the actual line in the movie. It's weird. They just they fly right through it. Like This isn't the most incredible thing that's ever happened. But yeah, Did you know like... they are making a television series of Frequency? Huh. Starting mm. this fall. Nope, didn't know Probably that. ending this fall. Give me this podcast. is about films, once again, <laughs> to remind everyone. Time jumping would be the next one. And that's kind of the one that you normally see. So um, alternate realities, jumping from one time to another. You know, the Back to the Future movies do this. Where they're changing things as they go. Finally, is sort of a new one because it is factual, which is time dilation. Am I pronouncing that right? Dilation, yeah. Dilation. Mm-hmm. We can say uh, it dilation. Yeah. Yeah. Dilation. Dilation, if you like. <laughs> what would Cindy uh, Can anybody <laughs> explain uh, how that works exactly? Because it's... You mean like Einstein stuff? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to do with the speed of light and... No, I can't explain. Uh, I think you're talking about relativity. So the idea here is that gravity can actually impact time space. Correct. Continuing almost like bend things. Right. Uh, As in the movie Interstellar. All right, guys. So let's get into our list. uh, Best films of all time travel. Lance, let's start with your number three best film of all time travel. I'm always uncomfortable talking about Star Trek movies because... um, I just feel like I'm going to piss somebody off because anytime you bring up Star Trek, uh, there's such a sensitive group of people out there about yeah, Star Trek. Star Wars is better. Well, see, that's exactly what I'm talking oh, about man. right there. <laughs> We're going to get some fighting. <laughs> but looking at time travel movies, this one this one popped up for me. So Star Trek number four, also known as Star Trek four, hmm. comes in What's at number the, three on my subtitle? list. subtitle? Star Trek four, also known as Star Trek number four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was the subtitle. Is yeah. that The Journey Home? That's uh, The Journey voyage, somewhere. The, the Voyage Home. The Voyage, the voyage Home. home. The yeah. Voyage Home. Yeah, Star Trek 4, subtitle, Star Trek number 4, <laughs> subtitle, Star Trek number 4, The Voyage Home. Directed um, by Leonard Nimoy. This this movie is... Was it his debut? No. 
yeah, no, it was was Star Trek Three actually. You're wrong, yeah, wrong episode. You oh, you're wow. traveling back yeah. in time to our first. <laughs> so, um, at this point in the Star Trek franchise, there there had been three of them. Obviously, <laughs> this was the point where I felt like they kind of had run out of ideas, and they hit. They're like, oh, we already killed somebody, and then we brought that guy back to life, and we searched for we him. searched for him, and then we found him. So this is where they just kind of hit the reset button on everything. And it was like somebody in the writer's room was like, let's send them back in time, which is a pretty risky thing to do with the Star Trek franchise because it seems like just a way to piss everybody off. Well, they'd done it in the show, in the original show. Had they? Mm-hmm. Um, and they did it they in the like reboot. gangster times and stuff, right? In the <laughs> no, well, yeah. no, in the, no. In the show, what would happen is they would go to a planet that just happened to be gangsters. It was, it was <laughs> no, the, there was one episode where they actually did go back in time, and it's it's like some hotly contested episode that's real controversial. They would also go to like hippie planet. It was hilarious that's how they hilarious. would try and shoehorn some of this stuff. Yeah. And like, oh, look, it's a planet of 1960s hippies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they would I want to go that there. social message. <laughs> so in this movie, they travel back to 1980. Yeah, late 80s. And, and essentially, this is the funny Star Trek movie. This right. is the this is the comedic one. This is the one where we get to see all our favorite old curmudgeon Star Star Trek characters conversing with American culture as it is speaking jive. or as it was in the 1980s. Which you know, looking back on it, risky thing to do. I mean, trying to see Spock be hilarious might mm-hmm. not sit so well with the Star Trek fan base. And yet, when you when you look at a lot of lists of favorite Star Trek movies, this one is usually pretty high up on the list. People tend to like this one. Your list. At least. Well, yeah, my list. So, yeah, I don't know. You, you take something so revered that people would shoot you for making the slightest alteration on it, and then it, it works somehow it, it's it's an admirable thing it's got whales in it right yeah yeah it I does love, so there I was that there was also this died. kind of environmental message to yeah it. There was, I, there was I appreciate lot, it there was a lot of 80s specific stuff going on but it's a good movie it works um it's you know it's not the first thing you think of when you think of time travel movies but it's a pretty critical part of the part of the plot so uh jordan your number three time travel movie my number three is <laughs> <laughs> yes Yeah, T2. I don't know. I think you think of 90s time travel and it's Terminator 2. One of the best. I mean, I remember going into Circuit Cities. When that movie came out? 92? Mm -hmm. You go into any Circuit City and every TV is blaring (laughs) T2. Yeah. And and actually... Back in the back where... Oh, yeah. And now now that I think about it, if there was a race scene with the truck going off, is that what it always was? Yeah. If if there was a time I could go back to, it might be Circuit City, nineteen ninety two. Sounds so awesome. Because, oh yeah, I mean it's it's one of the best sounding movies. Yeah, ever. Yeah. You know, time travel is pretty important in it. You yeah. get to go to the future, which that's always interested me more. Is going to the future instead of going to the past, and it's just an awesome movie. It did a lot of things really well. I mean, it's, to me, it's always one of my favorite action movies of all time. It's got the E. T. kind of thing with you know Arnold and <laughs> Edward Furlong, and it's got the strong female heroine and just a fantastic movie. Unfortunately, her hair isn't quite as awesome as it is in the first one. <laughs> it was actually kind of hard for me to pick T. Two over T. One because I, I love the first Terminator Two. You love all the T's. Terminator One is one of that. those movies that's hard to watch. Over and over, in my opinion, because it's just so dark and kind of like... Yeah, that's really. what I like. Yeah. That's my kind of movie. Yeah. The difference is T1 is very dated now. Super T2, dated. T2, somehow, not dated. No. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it was an incredible it's, film. It's so good. I would, I would certainly put it in the running for greatest action films of all time. Easily. Um, it's very propulsive. It, it 
propulsion. Shockingly, wow. holds up really well. Mm-hmm. You watch it now, you don't feel like you're watching a movie that's what now twenty four years old. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it doesn't hold up really well. Edward Furlong. <laughs> no, no, no. That's sad. No, he, was rough, one, he was one of yeah. your guys back in the nineties. That was a good guy. Last time I watched T two, I felt like the Furlong parts made me cringe more than they used to. But it was weird. I, I felt like a lot of the bad furlong scenes could have been fixed with some editing and like just editing him a little bit better. And I guess they just didn't want to do that. So I'm going to recut it and try to get it back in theater. <laughs> Cameron was busy writing 20 Avatar movies at the time. Yeah. When the Terminator and Furlong are, they make the phone call to see if uh, Eddie's parents are still alive. John, sorry. John's parents are still alive. It cuts to his foster mom cooking dinner and we think it's his foster mom and then she kills the dad so think about that for a second it's the t-1000 <laughs> cooking cooking dinner, dinner in the house just <laughs> that's awesome. just waiting just apropos yeah. of nothing just cooking dinner in case yeah you can't talk about james cameron without talking about <laughs> piranha 2 uh, yeah, do you see the that? irony in that statement <laughs> I was trying to say Bill Paxton. <laughs> I couldn't remember his name. I kept thinking Game Bill Pullman. It's you, weird. Yeah. I think Bill Paxton has come back around and is. I've seen him in. I can't remember what right off the top of my head, but I've seen him in some things recently where I was actually pretty impressed Bill by him. Good. Oh, I, think, I think he's pretty impressed. I think maybe some of his worst roles have been in James Cameron's movies, though. When he plays a punk in Terminator, <laughs> in Terminator 1, One, it's amazing. <laughs> When he's in Aliens, it's awful. Yeah, I think that might be the most annoying film role. A big, <laughs> probably because I've never seen Jar Jar Binks, so I don't know. Any that one. anytime James Cameron tries to take on the military, it's just it makes you <laughs> cringe. Like he yeah. really believes that every member of the military is this bloodthirsty yeah. sociopath who just loves to burn yeah. things for the sake of burning them. It's weird. Yeah, I don't think he's actually met anybody in the <laughs> army. <laughs> There's no way. Gibby, you're number three. Well, speaking of one, Bill Paxton. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's actually uh, had kind of a good comeback in my number three film, which is the 2014 critical hit, but uh, box office marginal failure of Edge of Tomorrow, also known as Live, Die, Repeat. What I think is, I mean, it's kind of been done before, even in something similar like Source Code, not to this you know, the exact plot, but it was just a whole lot of fun. I went in expecting kind of a dull movie, but it wasn't that at all. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Great role for Emily Blunt. Yeah, falling into the time loop type of time yeah. travel. Yeah, I, thought it, I thought it was fun. Really unique take on Aliens, too. Those things were yeah. terrifying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was really funny, which is pretty surprising for a sci-fi film like that. But, uh, great director, Doug Lyman. You know Doug that Lyman, when they were fantastic. filming it, they didn't really have a script going into it. They just kind of... But I've heard that about Doug Lyman, yeah. is that when he's shooting movies, he'll kind of rework it as they're going, and it's yeah. constantly what's refreshing working, it. And, well, was he the which maybe that born guy? what happened to the end. Yeah. He started, Identity, yeah. yeah. I did want to say one thing about time travel as a genre. I think it Plot they keep making these movies, and one reason I think that it does is because it resonates and that we all want to be able to go back in time and do something again or do something yeah. right. Yeah. Not me, no regrets. To do it, to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> no fate, but yeah, what we no make. No regrets. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, is, uh, it does tap into something core there. If you have no regrets, it's because you've learned the lesson. And the, the lesson that all of these movies seem to be trying to Or you were to so good to begin way. with that you didn't You have just to nailed learn it the, the first time. Yeah. <laughs> all right. My number three is Donnie Darko. Richard Kelly's debut film. It's this, uh, you know, this troubled teenager. He has these visions of a bunny. And it's just, it's kind of a crazy film. And it seems like it takes even some explanation behind it to pull the time travel stuff out of it. I feel like it's one of those movies that you kind of leave. And, you know, I first saw it probably as a lot of people did as a, 
teenager, young adult that just asks a lot of questions. And it's that type of movie that you can dig in and you go home and you find all the clues and you kind of poke around and talk to your friends about it. And it was just that kind of fun. And I think that's what makes time travel movies so great is that kind of cerebral talking about it afterwards, trying to figure out the rules of it and all that. I read something that Richard Kelly, that's his name, Richard Kelly, that he didn't even really know what was, what was happening in the movie. I've seen the movie twice, and both times I was stoned out of my mind, <laughs> and I don't remember. I, I don't remember it. I like I saw it the first time, and I was like, "What did I watch? I don't remember that." I'll watch it again, and somehow thought I'm it would be a good idea to get stoned again. And this was a long time ago. I wanted to revisit it for this, but uh, I was out of weed. This was a movie that people got obsessed with, and I was one of them when it came out. And I think it probably hit at a time where, you know, the internet was kind of booming, too. Makes it sound old again. But at a time where people were... Like the gold rush. Superhighway of information. (laughs) But there was... Like, it had a website that you could explore, and it was the beginning of people talking about things online and researching and finding things in the same way that Lost was when it came out. Well, that's why people got obsessed with it. There were no... There was nothing tied together at the end. There was all this stuff to talk about and debate and figure out. And I, I probably saw that movie 15 times and I, I was never able to really put it all together. Yeah. You weren't but, even stoned. Nope, I wasn't. But that journey of trying to put it all together and figure it out, it was like this puzzle you were never really going to complete. I heard somebody describe it as a really interesting way. It's kind of like it's a wonderful life in reverse. Hmm. So when it's a wonderful life, Jimmy Stewart's character gets to see what is like. He gets to see this alternate timeline of what would happen if he died. And the alternate timeline's terrible. Everybody suffers and is worse off for it. And Donnie Darko, he sees the alternate timeline where he lives and the world is worse with him being alive. So it's this really morbid take on the It's a Wonderful Life story where he needs to die in order for everyone else to be happy. Yeah, that's a great summation. It's a film that sticks with you. It's a film that, I mean, it's terrifying in some parts, too. I remember just watching it in cold sweats. It, but it's also just kind of cool. Like, it's just kind of a cool movie with yeah. the soundtrack. And, yeah. yeah. It's very stylish. The bully in the movie, uh, lead singer of the group Phantom Planet, and also dating one uh, winner <laughs> of... Sorry. <laughs> please, please edit this. Uh, today's <laughs> Us Weekly update. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All uh, We are on Lance number two. Yeah, Calm number down. two. Um, this was a movie that I would not have really... I ne- you never think of this maybe when you think of time travel movies, but it doesn't make sense why you wouldn't think of it because it's a total time travel movie. Uh, this is Harold Ramis' 1993 film Groundhog Day. So there's not a DeLorean. There's no phone booth. There's not like a time travel machine or anything like that. But, but there um, is a Groundhog. There certainly is. <laughs> Uh, Groundhog Day follows Bill Murray. He's a weatherman who is sent to cover the annual Groundhog Day celebration in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, and ends up living the same day over and over again. Some people did some interesting calculations on this movie uh, because people get really bored and obsessed with movies. (laughs) So some stats I pulled. This shows all are part of 38 different days, which actually sounded kind of low to me. Wolfnard's website, reputable journalistic bastion that they are, calculated that he, he lives in Groundhog Day for a total of eight years, eight months, and 16 days. Wow. Obsessed with Film website had a much higher calculation, 12,403 days, which translates to 34 years that he was oh caught in this gosh. loop. But so he doesn't age. It was based on things of like how long it would take to learn how to play piano exactly. or learn how to do an ice sculpture. Yeah. Yep. How long would it take to become an expert in the various things he, he decides to master? This movie is interesting to me because of the kind of the life it's had after it came out. Because I remember it came out, it was kind of, you know, people, everybody liked it. It wasn't an overlooked film, but it seems like year after year, it's just gotten more and more beloved. Yeah. Like I see it on more like 
reputable critics top favorite films list i see it i see i just see it popping up a lot more it was on it seems the top to have, screenplays list afi or something right wasn't mm-hmm. it yeah i think so but so it, i'm not i can't say it's underrated or underappreciated it just it came out it was just kind of a movie that would come on tv a lot and then since then people just love this movie it's yeah. it's just it's held up great with time and it seems to be be more and more respected year after year would you say that people just like to watch it over and over again <laughs> Um, uh, to me every time I watch it I always think gosh how bad would it be if like one of the times where he like ends up in jail was the day that he stops living today over and over again (laughs) I think one of the brilliant things about Groundhog Day is just that it's on Groundhog Day and called Groundhog it's like the one holiday that wasn't taken by movies yet like they could have easily done it with Christmas and I think it would have been forgotten but I think that's part of its longevity is just happening to make it on that day if you look at it from just a money making standpoint too it was a brilliant thing to choose because in the same way It's a Wonderful Life is always going to get tons of airtime on Christmas Right. this will always be the Groundhog Day no one's ever going to make a better Groundhog or another Groundhog Day (laughs) or even try yeah All right, Jordan you're number two number two is deuce it gross Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys starring one very awesome and very bald Bruce Willis. Except at some points, I guess he isn't bald in it. It's It's a weird Brad Pitt performance. Oh, it's so good. I think he takes it it just to the edge of overdoing it. Yeah, but it, it's so close to it that it's it's perfectly played by him. I I very much prefer Brad Pitt in supporting roles. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't really like him as a leading man. I think he's so good in Twelve Monkeys. It's yeah. just clever and it, it's so. Gilliam's style is so interesting and full to me. I don't always like his movies. I hate Time Bandits. How you can make one of my favorite time travel movies and pretty much my least favorite time travel movie. Kind of weird for a director, but... It has this odd element in it that has always confused me, and it's in Terminator too, where you've got this group of people that have survived some post-apocalyptic thing, and it's after that that they discover time travel. Mm. That's never made sense to me. Like, Who was working on discovering time travel when nobody had like food? <laughs> Is that strange? Yeah, that is pretty strange. Like when there was peace and there was tons of scientific research going on, nobody discovered time travel. Okay, but as soon as there's to take this off of his list, that's uh, when you really need time travel. Though. As soon as yeah. there's no bread, then we start working on time travel. I don't get it. What would you work huh. on? Making bread, Eat, eating, <laughs> bread finding making. food, Mixed up bread. maybe Pl- that's planting how, things. But maybe that's how it got invented. Maybe they're like, yeah. "There's no bread. Let's go back in time and get some bread." Or maybe they like mix some weird flour and yeast together, and it made time travel. Yeah, we it, don't it know. Just, what the it seems looks like, like a low probability gamble to start trying to discover time travel at that point. Go grow some corn. Or, oh. or, or I tell you what, maybe your goal at that point should just be let's just get back to the surface and get back to the top of the food chain. I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like I would have put this on my list had I seen it more recently, but it's been. Yeah. So long, I long didn't time. quite remember it, but I remember loving it and just having that unique, cool style to it. I mean, even the graphic design of like the monkey thing, yeah, and the, and the score have that cool accordion thing. The score is awesome, yeah, just a lot of cool elements. And then the kind of twist at the end being you know, kind of blowing your mind, really cool. I also just think it's a big accomplishment whenever Terry Gilliam can finish a movie because he is the most <laughs> cursed man in the history yeah. of Hollywood, yeah. If you've ever seen um, the documentary Lost in La Manche, check it out it's because awesome. it's basically an entire documentary about this production of. Don Quixote that Terry Gilliam's it was his dream to make for years and how it just falls apart and that's been the story with every one of his movies how he how he still wants to be a filmmaker is beyond me and I heard he's finally making it again though. he is I think yeah. for Netflix or something oh, really? alright Gibby uh, number two is Richard Curtis's last film About Time this is a film that I adore never seen it I haven't either you guys are missing out you are uh, you both could hate it I don't know yeah 
Uh, About Time is just a beautiful film. And I think most people, when they look at the cover and it's got Rachel McAdams and what's his name? Dom Hall Gleason. They just assume it's The Notebook. They assume that it's some sort of romantic thing. But but really the core emotional story behind it is a father-son story. Uh, This father and son who can both travel through time. And, well, I guess we can give stuff away. Yeah, I was like a puddle at the end of this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the father... You can turn on the waterworks for me if it's father-son stuff. (laughs) Yeah, the father suffers, uh, you know, from cancer, something you can't solve with time travel. And so it's about, you know, it's really about the value of time. It's not so much about past regrets and trying to change the past as he soon finds out you can't really fix things that you try to change. But it's really more about appreciating uh, the present. And it's just an amazing, beautiful message. And, you know, not that movies all have to have a message, but it's enjoyable to watch. Uh, Amazing performances, wonderfully directed, very funny, very touching. About Time was my number one film of 2013. I'm sure it would have been mine as well, unless a Harry Potter came out that year. Nope, it didn't. My number two is Looper. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I had read the screenplay actually before the movie came out, and I love the screenplay even more. I think Ryan Johnson's just amazing talent, amazing writer. But it's just a great, cool, like, you can tell that he looked at time travel and said, how do I take this to kind of the oomph degree? Is that what he said about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face, too? Yeah. <laughs> I tell that you, that's my yeah. My one problem with the movie is the the makeup job. I think we could have done without that. But the especially cool time travely scene that I thought was just fantastic was when you see the guy in the past is being tortured, and then you see him in the future running away, and he's slowly losing limbs mm. and noses and ears, and um, just super cool uh, way to use time travel. I liked it a lot. It's a good choice, Hudson. Way to go, Hudson. Cool, cool. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I yeah the pro- the problem I had with Looper was it's actually your fault because you gave me the script and I read it and the script was actually better than the movie yeah the script was incredible yeah it's still a good movie I don't know if I, I maybe I would have loved the movie I really liked the movie but I, maybe I would have loved it more had I not read it but he's one of those guys that like when you heard he was directing the next Star Wars film you were like oh great yeah this is perfect like this is a guy you want to see make more movies because he just he knows what he's doing. Hudson and I wrote a uh, time travel yeah, script. Let's lay it out so everybody knows the idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we wrote a time travel script a few years ago, which actually gave me a little bit of an added respect for this because I remember we would have entire meetings where we just tried to rack our brains just over the Just talk about the rules, thing. yeah. And that was, oh man, that was gut-wrenching. Yeah. Um, Turns out you can just throw it all out. Yeah, what well, is it that Ryan Johnson did? Story. He just basically, well, he, one he, line he, in the script said, up, oh, none of it matters. Yeah. We, we were at a screenwriter's conference a few years ago where yeah. Ryan Johnson talked about that and he has this line in it where because he just didn't want to deal with all of that stuff. Bruce Willis is talking to his younger self. I don't want to talk about time travel. Because if we start talking about it, then we're going to be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. The funny point about that is you really don't have to deal with any of that. You can find websites that basically take any time travel movie and talk about all the ways they screwed up. I mean, Terminator, the famous one, it's so obvious too. And I've got to think James Cameron was smart enough to know it was there and just thought, I don't care. (laughs) But essentially, John Connor is born because someone sent him back and got his mom pregnant. back doesn't make any sense at all back, it's impossible uh there's a i saw a website that had like 50 problems with time travel and back to the future and yeah. nobody cares i mean if it's yeah, a good no, movie it cares. doesn't really seem to matter true lance you're number one okay my number one film i'm always a sucker for when you can take a fantastical idea and make it gritty and real and grounded and that's what my number one film did uh shane Cruz's 2004 movie primer 
essentially, you know, like I said, time travel can be used as kind of a silly device at times. And this just strips it of the fantasy aspect of it and puts in this very dark, dank world. The story follows a group of friends who have started kind of a tech company, I guess, that they're running out of a friend's garage. And in the course of starting this company, they end up accidentally creating a time machine. And the film works really because they don't explain things to us. The terminology is way above our heads. It's a a bunch of tech geeks talking about things. They don't dumb down any of it. It's almost like we're kind of flies in the wall. We're not supposed to understand everything they're saying. They're just saying it. And we're just kind of picking up bits and pieces. So the movie doesn't ever try and spoon feed you with anything. The terms I use aren't making any sense, but we know it makes sense to the characters, so we just kind of roll along with it. It was famously shot for $7,000. Super ultra low budget film. It's a pretty it's a pretty big success story in the low budget film yeah. world. It is not a success story for color correction though. <laughs> no, and that in that area it failed horribly. <laughs> I found but, it really hard to watch because of that. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Jordan. Um, I don't know what <laughs> to do okay. about that. If I could go back in time and I change color things, it. I certainly would. But you've got these great scenes in it where, like, at one point, like, a guy's nose just starts bleeding. I never explain why, I never explain what happened. But you're essentially watching what, if we really did discover time travel, if this really happened, it would basically be the story of people dealing with this insane force that they have no idea how to control. And that's essentially what happens with these guys. It's a very bleak movie. It does not have a happy ending. It's basically about how this thing essentially spins these guys' lives out of control because they've gotten their hands on something that they don't know what to do with. Mm. No DeLoreans, no phone booths, nothing like that. It's just good old fashioned traveling through time. Yeah. <laughs> Just, um, just without a story that makes sense. And that's kind of the point. It doesn't make yeah. sense because why would it? We but don't it know what it falls into the same world as Donnie Darko. And in that same way, I believe a lot of people, you know, would put out their theories online and they're both cult films for that reason. I yeah. think that's a lot of times what cult films do. They don't explain everything. They le- they leave you with something to think about. And they're, I don't, not, they're not truly supposed to be resolved because the whole point of what these guys are going with is they can't resolve it. They can't figure it out because it's so much bigger than them. So why would we as viewers expect to resolve it either? I like that Transformers named one of my favorite characters after this movie. Optimus Primer. <laughs> how long how long have you been sitting on that joke? Jordan, your number one favorite time travel movie. So my number one, like Lance has said about his, I don't think people think of it as a time travel movie very often, but it definitely is time traveling through time, at least dilating through time. Mine is Planet of the Apes, the original. I love the world that we get to go and see. Naturally, I love the twist. I love Charlton Heston and his weird acting. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's super Hestony in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like Heston's career is, you know, he had the Ben Hur era. And then it was like after that, he's like, I'm not going to be the good guy anymore. I'm going to, like, and he became this, like, guy who would unbutton his shirt a little too much mm-hmm. and there'd be chest hair coming out. And he'd be wearing a scarf around his neck. And he became like this 60s, 70s playboy type. And, he and he's just, super that in this movie. Oh, he is the biggest a-hole ever in this movie. And I love that the other guys kind of call him out on it, well, as, for as long as they live in the movie. <laughs> for 20 minutes. <laughs> Spoiler. But it's just such a cool idea that it's it's my number one. Uh, this would also make a list of movies of covers that give the twist away. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. It, which I, I actually kind of thought about today, because I was revisiting this one this morning a little bit, and the way that they do it, you know, that they land on this mysterious planet that they're supposed to land on Earth, and they don't. They land on someplace in Orion's belt or something, and they get there, and they're walking around looking for water and food, and they 
all skinny dipped together in this beautiful bottom of a waterfall. And there, I mean, it's unbelievable how many shots there are of Charlton Heston jumping nude, diving into the water. But while they're in there... He probably like requested there to be more. I wonder if that was in his contract, (laughs) Which is probably where Kevin Costner got the idea. Um, But then some people steal their clothes while they're swimming. You can't really see them. You follow them and you're like, oh, there's people on this planet. You don't hear anybody say anything other than the three dudes. I love how they keep it from you. But then you're right. Like you you looked at the poster going into the theater and... (laughs) You know, I mean, it's called Planet of the Apes, but it reinforced my desire for, I just wish everybody could see a, a movie without having any knowledge of right. it beforehand. Right. But did all of you see it? Did you see Spaceballs first? No. No, I think I saw Planet of the Apes. I think I may have did seen Spaceballs first. Yeah, I remember I seeing Spaceballs and someone explaining to me what the reference was and then watching Planet of the Apes. Mm, that's well, a that's, that's, yeah. and that's the unfortunate thing about a movie like this is that most people now won't see it without knowing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like Soylent Green. Yeah. It's like everybody knows the twist. Uh, One thing that's funny about the end of this movie, too, is like I can't figure out if he's the unluckiest man in the world or the luckiest man in the world. Because essentially, if you remember his character, he hates humanity. He wants to get away from it. That's why he volunteered for this trip. Right. At the end of the movie, he basically gets exactly what he wanted, and he's got this really hot woman with him. Mm Mm-hmm. So doesn't he kind of get everything he wanted right at the end of the movie? Or am I supposed to feel bad for him? No, I think that he gets what he wants, but he's still grumpy about it. This this is just an unpleasable man. Oh, I think that's exactly what it is. Huh. Uh, I think he's just a jerk. Or is it that he finally got what he wanted and he finds out he didn't really want it? <laughs> Alrighty, my number one pick is a tiny movie called Sound of My Voice, written by Britt Marling, who also stars in the movie, and Zhao Batmanglige. Uh, who also directed the film. This movie was made for $135,000. Ultra low budget, but high concept. So the idea is that these two documentary filmmakers go undercover to penetrate this cult in order to uh, expose it for being a lie. And the head of this cult is a woman who claims that she had come back from the future. And to me, I just love it. It's the type of movie that... I'm just really drawn to these movies that take these big high concepts and then shrink them down to the lowest possible of it. But you're still gripped the whole time because, you know, one of these two people starts to believe in the world, the other doesn't, another the one wants wants to quit. And you have this whole back and forth of like this them being charmed by the cult and you know the guy's like this super like, you know, he does he definitely doesn't believe it. He's never gonna fall for it and like ripping apart these his kind of outer casing and it ends with a kind of great twist. Um, no, it doesn't. That kind of <laughs> sums it all up and just kind of leaves you in your seat with your jaw open at the end. I thought it was a great example, uh, kind of against all these kind of higher budget films. <laughs> well, except I guess the $7,000 one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Point Optimus primer. Yeah. <laughs> but I highly recommend it. Well, this movie really made me more than anything else in my life. Maybe my one regret. I really wanted to go back in time and not watch the movie. I love Britt Marling. I think she's an awesome actress. I think she's, has been in some really killer movies and written some great stuff, but this one didn't do it for you. No, it really didn't. You two may be the only ones have seen it out of the four of us. No, I've seen it. I may be the only one who haven't seen it out of the four of us. <laughs> no, I, I, I really liked it too. I thought Dang. I thought that the end the, yeah, there is kind of a twist at the end and I, I kinda saw where it was going and yet it still worked. I, yeah. I thought the whole thing Well was and it's really it's well. the type of twist that you can still interpret it right. a number of ways. Yeah, it's it's very much a slow burn. I mean, it kind of gradually takes you to where it's eventually going to take you. And I thought the pacing of it was great. I loved the look of it. It was, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I'm always kind of partial to the underdog, too, when it comes to film. Like, I want to see the little indie film do well. And this was a great success story in that arena. This movie was actually a... Uh, 
intended to be the first in a trilogy. Is that um, not happening? I don't know. They don't know. Because uh, I'd love still... to see the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Gibby, your number one, I believe, uh, is reflective of 75% of the table as an <laughs> accurate and honest number one. But we wanted to have some fun pointing out some that were maybe less known. So, Gibby, what is your number one time travel film? The number one time travel film, I think, and probably most anybody's ranking of time travel films is uh, old Bob Zemeckis' Back to the Future, 1984. Just, in my opinion, pretty much as perfect of a film as one can make from scripting and acting and the whole movie. It's it's basically perfect. I saw it again last summer for the first time in probably nine or ten years and was blown away by how much I liked it. And I mean, that was probably in my life the 72nd time I'd seen that movie, but the first time in about ten years. How does it make you feel that I like the second one more? I think that's fine. Okay, good. I mean, I think you're wrong, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. I think the second one probably gets a bad rap, and I haven't seen it in ten years either. But I remember actually kind of liking the second one. I love it. Seeing the future is. Just more yeah, I mean, that was so cool. I remember but we were all in the uh, age to where it was the urban legend that the they actually did make yeah, one Yeah, Lance, hoverboard. remember you used to believe the hoverboards were real? <laughs> yeah, thanks for throwing that out there, Hudson. But yeah, I, I actually did. There is a, um, in one of the, I think it was an NBC special, Robert Zemeckis made the comment that hoverboards had existed for years and they were not available because parent groups had said that they were unsafe. Yeah. And hook, line, and sinker, I yeah. bought that. <laughs> Apparently tons of kids did. Yeah. yeah. This is a big um, thing. Lots of kids I was really dumb kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was 11 at the time. I really wanted it to be true. And I think I believed it until I was in my 20s. I think I just kept running with it. I wanted it to be true so bad. Lance argued with a professor at Georgia Tech about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier, about how time travel movies are not really about time travel. They're about something deeper going on. This movie was uh, Bob Gale, who, who co-wrote Back to the Future with Robert Zemeckis, actually came up with the idea. And he came up with the idea after he, he says he went home and he found some of his dad's old high school yearbooks. And he started looking through at pictures of his dad. What he determined was that he wishes he could go back and talk to his dad at that age. And he also determined he probably wouldn't like his dad very much. And that's kind of what got him on this this kick of <laughs> what would it be like if I went back to high school and met my dad. And really what this movie, this movie comes down to a couple of things. There, it, it works for two reasons. You've got this unique perspective on the whole parent-child relationship. But then it's also got this fantasy fulfillment aspect of this idea of like your life sucks, you can go back, you can tweak some things, and then you come back and everything's amazing. So at the end, what Marty McFly essentially does is what a lot of people wish they could do. He's stuck in his reality. His car sucks. He wants the awesome truck. He wants to be in a band. He wants to be able to play music. He goes back in time. He fixes everything and he pops up and his new reality and everything is exactly how he wants it. Yeah. And there's some deep seated like wish fulfillment thing that we all have that ties back into that where he gets to do what Deep down inside, we all wish yeah. we could do. Would you say that he that Marty McFly doesn't have much of a character arc, though? Well, he, he doesn't. I, that was actually another point I was going to bring up, is that this script is actually studied in film school now, even though it kind of breaks one of the cardinal rules of screenwriting, which yeah. is your character has to go through some character shift. Marty right. McFly goes through no character he shift He maybe appreciates his family more. Yeah. Well, he yeah. appreciates the new version of his family. Right, <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's true. Yeah. Essentially, what he does he is he kind, of, he kind of plays God here. He goes back... He recreates a new family, and then he loves that new thing he's created. Yeah. He doesn't really learn anything about appreciating what he had before. Right. There's, there's no great character insight. Essentially, what he really does in this movie is just dodges a huge bullet of getting you know, wiped out of existence by accidentally changing his future. So, no, you're absolutely right. There is no... 
character arc, and the screenwriters have even admitted that. Yeah, but it still works. But it still works. It shouldn't, but it totally does. But then his dad, George, goes through such a huge kind of arc and changes that you're kind of on board. Right. And as that's marty's goal the whole time well that's a good it's a good point because in a way marty is kind of his jiminy cricket sort of he's really the main character of this story really when you look at it is george mcfly he's the one who changes he's the one who becomes better marty mcfly just kind of helps guide them there despite the fact marty mcfly also is the one who created the mess to begin with and it's just such a fun movie i think it's a great example of not going with your first idea I mean, little touches like the, making it a DeLorean, making the time travel of the time machine a DeLorean, or things like the whole, like, I'm Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan. Like, he happened to have that suit. Like, everything's just kind of set up and paid off and mm-hmm. really clever. It's just, uh, to me, it's kind of the ultimate screenplay where everything fits together perfectly. When I saw it again for the first time in 10 years last summer, it really affected me in a way I was not expecting. I mean, I got kind of, I'm, a, I'm an easy crier at films, I'll say that. And it hit me there at the end. I'm not sure why, but something did. Just the Yeah, it's pretty damn weird. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't want it to be over? Maybe that's it. Maybe and I saw it at the that's uh, why they Fabulous made, Fox Theater. That's why they made Atlanta. two more. Yeah. Was it the, was it the power it. of love? I think and it like, was. That it's such a yeah. curious thing. Yeah. We want to end with something. Yeah, something we're excited about. Tell you what I'm excited about. <laughs> you gotta sing a song. <laughs> it's like the beginning of a musical. <laughs> Uh, what I'm excited about. <laughs> yes, Gibby. What, Gibby? Yeah. Peach Dragon. Excellent movie. You should go watch it. It's uh, a very tender film. I saw it. The tender's a great word for it. It's, it's And I feel like Disney's kind of doing this a little bit now. They'll put out these movies that they're not necessarily, it's not G-rated. I mean, it's like got some yeah. heavy stuff, but it, it's, it's just a gentle movie. Uh, I'm excited about the next Marvel movie. I don't even know what it is, but I'm excited because I can't wait to watch critics just gush over themselves over it just because it says Marvel. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of fun. Hmm. Uh, I'm excited about, I finally watched Stranger Things, and I thought it was pretty awesome. And now there's going to be a second season. And I remember when I first started it, I was like, how are they going to make a show out of this? It feels like it's one story. But I felt like they left enough open-ended while also making it feel like a full story uh, that I'm very excited. excited about how are they going to find more things for a Winona Ryder to yell about? <laughs> <laughs> and whine about. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh. Uh, it's got Winona Ryder. I watched it. Yeah, I know. You'll like it more than I did. Well, I hear it leans way too heavily on like the 80s nostalgia. Yeah, without um, without actually using music from the 80s. Right. Yeah, you can't see me rolling my eyes right now. <laughs> I can't either. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant use of a Moby song at the end of it. Brilliant yeah. except... 12 years too late. Well, the movie's obviously not filmed in the 80s. Well, it's not a movie, first of all. <laughs> the show's obviously not filmed in the 80s, and they obviously take some liberties I'll say. with it. And uh, to me, Stranger hmm. Things is not how the 80s were, but how you remember the 80s were through movies. I remember that Moby song in the 80s. It was great. <laughs> Maybe it was time travel. I mean, Tarantino, time travel. Tarantino put a Kanye West song in a Western. And I can't. <laughs> ever explain well enough how angry that makes me. <laughs> really? It, it ru- absolutely ruined that movie Did for it? me. Yeah. I actually liked that part. Me too. No, I loved it, it. It took me out of it. it I was... I was Totally into that movie, really enjoying it. There's no way that took you out of it, as if you were like, oh, wait a second, I'm not in the Old West anymore. Yeah, it did. <laughs> that's that's like exactly what happened. I totally lose myself in movies, and, and if, if there's something like a rap song in the middle of the, so while, of the West. Yeah, so while you were watching that movie, you were like, man, I really got to get home before the Dust Bowl hits, and I got to make sure my horse <laughs> is tied up outside. 
I really wish I had something that I was excited about. Leah Thompson? I am very excited about Leah Thompson. Thanks thanks for listening, everybody. It's four f- we will four f- s- <laughs> friends fighting about film. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, everybody. Can end it. Thanks, guys. Next week on the Four Friends Fight About Film podcast, we'll talk about torture, hypercolor shirts, second graders, two movies featuring a gorgeous actor, a UK history lesson, and puppets. Yep, you guessed it. We'll be covering political films. Stay tuned. And now, a message from our friend Bill Paxton. Hey, this is Bill Paxton. Want to drop us a line? We're at Fight About Film on Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoyed the podcast, leave a review on iTunes and be sure to subscribe. Four Friends Fight About Film is produced by the Brothers Ray in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was recorded and edited by Jordan Noel. But first, here's the news. Strikes twice